Pastor Xavier Reese with the assurance that God supplies us the means to do His will. I can do all things that God calls me to do. If God calls me to endure, if God calls me to humble myself, if God calls me to do without something for a while, if He calls me to that, if He allows that to me, I'm a Christian, then He will give me the resources. You understand me? It doesn't mean you won't have pain. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult. It means you'll do okay if you trust God for it. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. No doubt one of the controversial issues in ministry is the M-word, money. Some view pastors as the ones always asking for money. But then, how can a ministry run without the support of the people? Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to Philippians chapter 4 as he brings us three biblical simple truths in dealing with ministry and finances. Let's listen. Paul's complete dependency was on Christ Jesus. We're going to see that. He just trusted God. What a restful place that is. Now notice the entire section from verse 10 to 20 deals with financial gifts, as I said, from the Philippians by Epaphroditus, and he mentions them again in verse 18. But what we want to do is concentrate only on verse 10 through 14, which reveals three things regarding Paul's heart about finances in connection to ministry. Let me read these verses. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Here are the three things regarding Paul's heart and finances. First, in verse 10, Paul's appreciation for their finances. He expresses that first of all. Secondly, Paul's perception about his finances in verse 11 and 12. And then thirdly, Paul's commendation of their finances. So he begins with the Philippians, he points to himself, and he ends up with the Philippians again. Let's begin here with the first. Paul's appreciation for their finances in verse 10. Notice first, Paul recognized the Lord's faithfulness. That is so important. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. It's so important that you and I see God when we see things happen. Too often we say, oh, you know, why did that happen? Or we got to see God first. It's always God. If you're a Christian, it is God who's working on your behalf. All right? So first of all, the acknowledgement of God. Notice Paul rejoicing the Lord for the supply of his finances, not people. Paul was saying that the Philippians through their finances, had once again been God's answer to his trust and dependency on God. They were the branches. Jesus was the vine. Ever think about that when people are used by God towards you? That they're the branch, but the one that you should give glory to is the vine? So whatever way God provides for you, that's God providing for you. Whatever it may be. Philippians now had given to Paul once again as he was in the Roman prison. 
This was Paul's appreciation for their finances. Notice, secondly, Paul's perception of his finances, verse 11 and 12. First in verse 11, Paul declared that he didn't see himself in poverty. Amazing. Paul says, I'm not broke. I'm not in poverty. Where is he at? The Marriott? He's in Roman prison. Paul the Apostle was attesting to God's faithfulness once again to always provide for his needs. Paul declared the reason for this proclamation. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? One word. Learn it. Content. Content. Be content with such things as you have, Hebrews 13, 5 says. Now the idea is not pride, but faithfulness of God to provide and to be faithful steward within the means. Now notice, thirdly here, Paul declares what he means in terms of his financial contentment. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer needs. Paul knew how to be flexible. There's a key word for you. Flexible. Make adjustments financially. He was flexible enough to make financial adjustments. The word know means to perceive with the senses. In other words, he had good enough sense to know and to sum up and to measure the situation and to make appropriate adjustments based on what was going on. Some people don't have the good sense to do that. You know, they see only three cookies in the cookie jar and they've got a whole week and a half to go and they eat them the first day. Well, that's pretty foolish. I mean, count the days, divide them up, and you'll have a little bit each day. You know what I mean? Paul knew how to live humbly. Even though he came from a very wealthy home, he had made adjustments now. He says, I know how to abound. So here you have two extremes. Paul knew what God's excess was and not just that it was for himself but that if God is giving him an excess, he should be a steward of it to make it last for the provisions that he needs. Paul knew how to be flexible regarding the location. Listen to him. Everywhere and every place God sent him, be it to Jerusalem, the Jews, be it to the Antioch, the Gentiles, in all things, in all situations, good times, bad times, in prison, not in prison. It didn't make any difference to him. Whether he was being beat and put in prison, whether he was being ministered to or, be, or ministering unto, it didn't make any difference. In every place, in every situation, he had learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here you have two extremes. The word learn means to appropriate these things by, by an initiation, entering an initiation of the mystery religions. This is the word. And Paul had come into that new relationship in his conversion with God. He had been acquainted with the things and the ways of God so that he could submit himself to the will of God and make those adjustments that he needed to do because he kept his eyes on God. He didn't do it complaining, and he was full. The word for full there is to feed an animal. He's satiated, stuffed. Then you have the other extreme, hungry. Sometimes there was a sacrifice. This is the heart of Paul. Oh, I wish pastors had that heart today. Rather than fleecing the flock of God, they should feed the flock of God. Listen, contentment does not mean complacency. Contentment means that I so appreciate what God has done and given to me. And if he has something else, I'm open. 
If he has nothing else, this is more than I have coming. I'm a steward of it. I'm frugal. If you can't afford a new car, don't buy a new car. Learn to be frugal. Don't compare yourself to the Joneses like they used to say in the 60s, okay? Alexander the Great, we are told, being upon his deathbed, commanded the dead. Once they carried out uh, his body to the grave, his hands should not be wrapped as was usual in the grave cloths, but they should be left outside the briar, the coffin, so that they were empty, that there was nothing in them. He was born to one empire, He conquered another. He possessed two worlds while alive, east and west, and the treasures of both of them. Yet now, after he had died, he could retain not even the smallest portions of these treasures. The poorest beggar and he were on equal terms, finally. Oh, remember that. What is your attitude towards your financial state? Are you always comparing yourself to someone else? Are you coveting? Be content. If all you can drive is a Volkswagen, hey, thank God for your Volkswagen. Keep it up. If you can drive a Mercedes and God has blessed you and you're not living beyond your means, you don't have to drive in guilt. But you let God direct you. Okay? Have you ever thought about that? Everything you work for all your life, you're going to have to leave behind to somebody. That's what, that's what Solomon was going crazy about in Ecclesiastes. All these guys that said, I've worked so hard, these guys are going to take it. What are they going to do with it? They're going to waste it. They don't even know. Listen, be frugal. Be a steward. Live within your means. You'll be okay. Contentment is not complacency, as I said, which has no incentive, but it is readiness to accept not only God's will, but all he permits. All he permits. What kind of steward are you with your money that God gives you? By the way, it's God's money, all of it. Do you know that? It's not yours. It's not mine. Be gracious with others, as Proverbs 13, 7 says. Don't rob God, as Malachi 3, 8, and 10 says. Live on a budget within your means, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, self-sufficient. Don't live beyond your means. If you make a 1,000, don't spend a 1,001. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. Don't put it on credit. Put some away. A rainy day might rain tonight, for sure tomorrow. Listen, if you put just $100 a month away, okay, $100 away for 30 years at 10%. You will have invested $36,000. By that time, you will have had $226,000. So if you start at 20, that's at 50. That's only $100, okay? But what happens? We never put away. Why? Listen, don't go out four times a month to eat. Go out three. Put the 50 away. Put the 100 away. Looks of you, some of you spend 200 dinner. Um, <laughs> Put it away. (laughs) This was Paul's perception and perspective of his finances. What's yours? Notice thirdly, Paul's commendation for their finances. He comes back now to them. Verse 13, Paul declares that his confidence was in Christ. He comes back to God. The outrageous statement, listen to it. I can do all things. Is that arrogant? Put it in the context. This implies trust and commitment on the sufficiency of Christ for all situations of life, not a proud statement of human pride. He's trusting. He's established the fact already. He said it all through his writings over and over again. The immediate context is finances for life and ministry. 
but yet in principle, we can apply it to everything else. God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, 1 Peter uh, 1, 3, and 4. How could he say this? Christ was his life, chapter 1, verse 21. Christ was his mind, chapter 2, verse 5. Christ was his goal, chapter 3, verse 10. Christ was his strength, chapter 4, verse 13. It's real simple. Where is he at? Roman prison. The word all, again, cannot be limited just to the finances here. In the context, yes. But in principle, I can do all things that God calls me to do. If God calls me to endure an unfaithfulness of a wife or a husband, if God calls me to humble myself, if God calls me to do without something for a while, if he calls me to that, if he allows that to me, I'm a Christian, then he will give me the resources. You understand me? It doesn't mean you won't have pain. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult. It means you'll do okay if you trust God for it. That's what Paul is saying here. Notice the necessary channel through Christ. This implies position and rest. The word is in, literally, in the sphere, in relationship to Christ. That's how Paul psalms as an instrument of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the door. I'm the vine. He's the only one, no one else. It's not a mere expression of, of his name used as a magical formula in Jesus' name, and God has to answer it. <laughs> God forbid. We're in him. We're doing only what he calls us to do. The infinite resource is what? The power of Christ who strengthens me. This is the necessary step, dependency. It's not an option. It's a requirement. He's the one that strengthens me. We are to be strong in the grace of God, 2 Timothy 2.1 says, in Christ Jesus. It's always in Christ, never apart from Christ. This is all that God desires to provide for us, his strength. You can read Colossians 1.11, his strength. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit because we are his children. He is the comforter. Jesus spoke about in John 14, 15, and 16, the night before he was betrayed. The day of Pentecost, the church was birthed through the power of the Spirit of God. You and I are to be strengthened in the inner man, Ephesians 3.16. We're to be strengthened for our infirmities, those things that we pray over and over again. 2 Corinthians 12.7-10, Paul says, Lord, this is the third time. God says, that's it. That's the last time. My grace is sufficient. Why? Because he's made strong and through our weaknesses. It brings us to the end of ourselves and it teaches us lessons that we can learn no other way. Notice, secondly, verse 14, Paul declared his compliment to the Philippians. First, their godly deed. Nevertheless, you have done well. You have done well. Paul makes sure once again to not be misunderstood by the Philippians as if he were ungrateful, as he already has said in verse 10. So he's going out of his way to make sure that they understand that he so appreciates what they've done and in no way is he down on them because they could not for a time provide in fact, he's never asked. Even as Paul worked and provided for his ministry that way, but then God used people at times. God takes care of that. Notice also the great compassion. You shared in my distress. They entered into the fellowship. Son, koinonia, participation, suffering. In his suffering, they entered in by sending Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus almost died. They were with him in prison, literally. The word distress means pressing, pressure. James 1.27 uses it for the widows in difficulty. John uses it 
for the great tribulation in Revelation 2.23. They shared with one who taught them, as Galatians says. And the word shared there means, as I said, partnership. Oneness with them. They were involved from the beginning, as chapter 1, verse 3 and 5 says, from the very beginning, from the day that Paul got there, Lydia was there giving, opening up. And since that day, they had not stopped. They were praying for Paul, chapter 1, verse 19. They were sending Epaphroditus and money, chapter 2, verse 25 through 30. He mentions it again here in 418. Man, these guys were, were, were there. They were doing what God called them to do. And so Paul thanks God, he thanks them, but he realizes it's all in the plan of God, and he rests in what God is doing. And for that reason, each of us need to rest where we're at. Look forward, see what God wants you to do. You want to get, get ahead? Good. Do all you can, but don't live for it. Be content. Be a steward. Be frugal. Be faithful to God. Don't squeeze God out. Because pretty soon as the bucks get higher, Jesus gets squeezed out. All right? And as we push the priorities of Jesus out, we hang on to our pennies so tight that Lincoln's eyeballs pop out. <laughs> we need to find that balance. In 1923, a group of world's most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Listen, collectively, these tycoons control more wealth than there was in the United States Treasury. And for years, Newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of the nation to follow their examples. This is 1950. I was born in 1950. Listen to what they were saying. Okay, all this pump. These guys, do you guys model your life after them, all that? 27 years later, listen to what happened to them. Charles Schwab the president of the largest independent steel company, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died penniless. Arthur Cutton, the greatest wheat speculator, died abroad insolvent. Richard Whitney, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, was released some time later from Sing Sing. Albert Fall, the member of the president's cabinet, was pardoned from prison so he could go home and die. Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear on Wall Street, committed suicide. Leon Fraser, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, committed suicide. Ivar Kruger, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, committed suicide. All these men had learned how to make money, but not one of them had learned how to live. Christian, listen to me. God has blessed you financially. God has given you a profession. You live wisely. You don't live for that money. You be a steward. You be frugal. You let God direct you. Not any preacher. Not any teacher. Don't let them pressure you. Don't let them beg you. Don't let them crank you. Don't let them do anything to you. You be faithful to God. You be obedient to God. And God will take care of you. Today in the church, preachers and teachers are being exalted who are teaching this prosperous doctrine of health and wealth. And that the evidence of your spirituality is if you are rich, if you can get money from God. So you've got to plant your seed faith, right? Because after all, you've got to show God your earnest because he doesn't really know it. So you show him your bucks and then God comes through on you. Listen to Peter, 2 Peter 2, verse 15. 
They have forsaken the right way, gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, have I said anything that money's bad? No. What's bad is people and their love for money. You need money, I need money. But be careful what it does to you. Verse 17, he says, these are wells without water. Who would go to a well without water? That's what these teachers are. Clouds carried in the tempest, from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in air. Well, verse 19 says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, and by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought in bondage again. So rather than pushing them into spiritual things, they enslave people back into the things of the world. Oh, they put a spiritual connotation on it, but it's still worldly. It's still the wrong perspective. It's not the right agenda. Verse 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Savior, they are again entangled, them are, they are overcome, the latter end is worse than the first or the beginning. They're in worse shape now than they were before they were saved. They're under greater deception. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We have to walk in those, so we go to God for them. Today, as from the beginning of the church, we are to be involved in good works. And 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18 says that we are to be involved in personal uh, involvement in ministry, whether it be individually or corporately in the church, and yet we are to look at the eternal things, not the temporal things, because the temporal things you can see, but the eternal things you cannot see. And there is going to be a price. There is going to be pain. There is going to be suffering. And we have to understand that. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't say, you know, this is the last time I get burned. I'm never to get... Be careful. That's it. No more. I'm not helping anybody no more. Oh, really? Okay. 1 Timothy 6.18-19 says, Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, store up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, Therefore by him let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise of God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifice God is well pleased. Those are just a few things, people. This is Paul's commendation for their finances. Are you a giver or are you always taking? Have you been burned so much that you say that's it no more? Are you appreciative of people who have given to you, people who have done for you different things? And now you're better off on your feet and now it's your turn to give out. God will never give to you anything that he's not going to require back, I guarantee you. Learn. Many people have been gracious in my life. I have to remember that as I look to others. And my responsibility is not to pay them back. My responsibility is to do it to others who can't pay me back. You understand? You give to those who could never pay you back. God will take care of it. I love Paul's philosophy of ministry. We attempt to strive to live that way here. For that reason, we don't lay heavy trips on you. And we instruct you to not get ripped off by preachers or teachers or anybody else. And you do what God calls you to do. And so these are the three things revealed regarding Paul's heart about finances and ministry. Paul's appreciation 
for their finances was declared first. Secondly, Paul's perception of his finances, depending on God. And thirdly, Paul's commendation for their finances. You're one with him. Pastor Xavier Reese with a biblical perspective on money. And today's message, Ministry and Finances, is available as always on CD for only $4. We'll be including everything we heard the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Ministry and Finances. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And we hope you'll be back for more Simple Truths from the Word of God right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com